Welcome to Hot Seating, the drama education podcast with myself, Avian Finnegan. In this podcast, we interview well-known drama practitioners and community artists. We reflect on their drama experiences through the lens of the drama strategies. Like you define the space within your classroom, we are defining the space for conversations about drama in education, not just in Ireland, but all over the world. This is a podcast brought to you by the Association of Drama in Education in Ireland, also known as the ADEI. Luke Abbott is in the hot seat today. Luke studied for his master's degree with Dorothy Heathcote at Newcastle University in 1981. At the time, Mantle of the Expert was being established as a teaching and learning approach, and Luke was among the pioneering group of Dr. Heathcote's students who first researched and then used the approach in their classrooms. In over 40 years of practice, Luke has taught in hundreds of schools all over the UK and abroad. His work is internationally recognised, and he has been instrumental in advancing the scope and application of Mantle of the Expert. Luke has worked extensively in Europe, China, America, New Zealand and Palestine. He is now a project tutor for the NEU Mantle of the Expert programme and leading Mantle of the Expert projects in many schools across the UK. So pour yourself a cup of tea, sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation. So today on Hot Seating, I'm joined by Luke Abbott. Luke, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. So Luke, we had a great interaction um, last week. I had emailed you to invite you to the podcast um, and I emailed you a list of the questions um, as this is a formatted podcast. And I absolutely loved that you replied to me um, and you asked, could we reframe the questions um, in a different way. And I, th- I just would like to talk about that first because I find it really interesting. And thanks for engaging so much with this and for, you know, challenging and putting your ideas and um, d- different ideas out there. So, so tell me about it. So what did, what did we change? Uh, well, I think the, the main change was to do with the, the framing of it, which for me came out of the view of the drama conventions uh, and I have to say they are the so-called drama conventions that Jonathan Nealands wrote about. They aren't, in fact, drama conventions at all. What they are is drama strategies or strategies that you could use if you were going to use a sort of um, jigsaw approach to drama teaching. In other words, you use this bit, then you add it to this bit, then you put it in this bit and so on. And as far as I'm concerned, that practice should have died out a long time ago. But because it's so embedded in people's heads and in practice and much easier to accept, um, it's now the sort of dominant paradigm. Still, um, I want to do something about that because in my training with Dorothy Hathcote all those years ago in 1982, um, we were force fed the conventions of dramatic action from her point of view. She never ever knew that Jonathan had been involved in writing his own. Um, But I think that um, as a plagiaristic model, it needs to be challenged now. Um, Her conventions of dramatic action are far more to do with drama as the art because it folds in drama form and theatre form. Jonathan's are much more to do with making it easy for teachers to try and interpret each one of them. 
Um, the damage that was caused, of course, was when Jonathan put Mantle of the Expert as just a drama convention, uh, which clearly it wasn't. It's one of the great pillars of Dorothy Hathcote's invention. So I balked at um, perpetuating the same model um, here in 2021. That's why right. I changed it. <laughs> That's why I changed it. Um, yeah, and so... And I'm just something striking me there. So Neelands wanted something that to, to make something that, as you said, the jigsaw approach that teachers could really access easily. And I, I kind of I can understand that because when I say mention to teachers these these strategies, they think, oh, well, this is something I can tick box. This is something I can do. Um, tick, tick, tick. And and tell me how the the Heathcote conventions differ from that. So, because there are a lot of similarities with between the two. Well, you can see they're plagiarized. They're, they're almost one-to-one -one copies. Um, and I think they're very badly put together from what Jonathan did. You have to understand I've known Jonathan as long as I have been teaching. I mean, he and I have had parallel careers in drama and education. Um, so, it, it, and it's not new. Jonathan and I have had these conversations about the power of conventions that Dorothy Hathcote brought to the table. Uh, and he's on record as saying, when I was uh, one of the lead advisors in Redbridge, he was on record as saying, that's probably one of the greatest invention of the 20th century uh, drama that there ever was. So uh, let's not say that Jonathan doesn't know anything about this. He does. Mm. Um, so where, where do we get to? The, um, the issues with drama teaching currently, as I spoke at the conference last weekend, which unfortunately or fortunately um, wasn't recorded, I think probably because um, I was quite contentious in what I had to say. And I was this conference was called um, Hethcote, wasn't it Hethcote Now? Dorothy Hethcote Now at yeah. um, Birmingham Central University, led by David Allen. Um, I, I, I felt it's time to really say to the whole drama community and the whole education community too, that if drama teachers keep hanging on to the single subject mode, then they're hanging on to a paradigm of schooling and education, which has passed its prime and we need something new. Drama teachers could be at the forefront of that, whether they're frightened or don't know what it is, I have no idea. But just to keep teaching drama is about just the same as wanting to teach mathematics or teaching French or, or whatever. Um, Dorothy's methodology, as it developed over time, um, is a radical pedagogy which actually shakes the foundation of what we mean by models of schooling and is far more in the uh, Giraud mode and Ivan Illich, Noam Chomsky, uh, than it is in the theatrical mode. It's unfortunate that drama is always associated with drama and theatre, and the drama and theatre people have always picked it up. But actually, it's far more to do with, um, particularly Dorothy's conventions, it's far more to do with film, it's far more to do with episodic explorations, it's far more to do with what we are currently investigating rather than what we're currently doing to get an exam. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're, you're definitely speaking to me there. Um, and I think, I don't know, so this is a global podcast, so it's really interesting because we're looking at models across across the globe. And I know in Ireland, the 
you know, we fought for a long time to get drama on the, the curriculum in primary schools. Um, and now that's changing. It's something that's that's going to be, um, I think, done away with in the next number of years. And um, perhaps it'll be under an, an, another umbrella um, within the curriculum. Um, but I think drama is something that's always going to be there if it's used correctly. And I heard actually, um, I, I was listening to something that you recorded recently and I'm not sure how recent it was, but I, I, it was an interview. Um, you were w- working with some teachers and you were saying that there's that the the difference between drama and theatre and that drama teachers are a complete separate entity, that they're not either. They borrow from the theatre, but they're, they're not either um, either things. I hope I'm not misquoting you there, but I just found it really interesting. Well, it's a it's a worry. See, um, we're constantly trying to squeeze a subject into some sort of understanding so it fits in the theatre. So once we get that, that that's um, that square hole stuff, trying to jam something that's round into a square hole, that that's a ridiculous way of looking at it now. I mean, we are in the 2021. We're, we're not back in 1950, 1960, trying to work out what the medium is about. We know a hell of a lot more now. Mm. Um, so we know, for instance, that there is such a thing called drama uh, and drama form, which contains uh, people in the now, people imagining, contains people um, responding as if they are other people. Um, the action is actually happening now. Uh, there are tensions abroad, of course, that we're trying to deal with, but we can always stop it. And we can always think to ourselves, so what was that all about? And that's where the art is. Now, when you're dealing with theatre form, drama can't just operate all by itself. Otherwise, you'd just be sitting down at a desk and you'd just be spouting forward. There must be some elements of theatre form there, for example, within the space, for example, within the the language that the uh, participants are using, and also in the sort of signage that is in the room. So things standing for something else in the room, for example, would be a very good example of theatre form, not drama. Hmm. So there are two forms operating when we're using it in this mode, in my view, which of course is massively contentious. It was massively contentious in the past, but I don't care anymore. Um, The world is in such a state that we actually have to do something more than just sit back and say, we'll accept the old orthodoxies because we don't have to. And Dorothy Hathcote, as a revolutionary thinker, gave us these tools to play with and understand, but they've never actually ever been used to their full potential, which is going to change from now on. Um, I'm in the process of starting up the Hathcote Institute. Uh, I'm sure universities will be screaming at me saying, who the hell do I think I am? Um, And I will say that I'm somebody who's been in the field trying to work with Dorothy Hathcote's um, teachings that I learned in 1982. Um, ever since. And everybody would say, yeah, I did the same. And I will say to them, yeah, you may well have done the same, but what have you done with it? Mm. Where where is the evidence that you've used her work? Well, in in a few teachers or in a few books that you've written or a few articles, where where is it occurring that you are teaching teachers who've never used it before to use these methodologies? Because unless we do that, her work is going to diminish. And as we found at the weekend, in my view, I keep saying my view because... uh, but it is your view. I know, but you know what? Your passion is really translating. Um, and I think that's really admir- admirable as well. And I, you know, that'll stand to you too. You know, I think when someone feels passionately passionately about something, it really travels and comes across. So do you know what? We we've talked about um 
the questions. Um, so why not let's get into the questions. Okay. Um, so the first question is the seed. So your first memory of drama. Um, well, you've got to understand that I didn't come up as a drama teacher. I was a music uh, person. I'm a trained musician. Right. Um, but I realised that actually um, kids would only, would only experiment with music because I was giving them some possibility of working with music. Uh, it, and that wasn't enough for me in terms of schooling. I didn't go in to sort of get another bunch of musicians or to teach kids music. So in my early years of teaching, uh, and I taught in a special school, um, I began to realise that um, people who were in the condition that I was teaching children, who, that, that, you know, they were some of them severely disabled, um, they needed more and they needed acts of the imagination. And I, I didn't really know how to do it because I hadn't been taught how to do it when I was in my teacher training. I'd done the drama course, but actually wasn't really enough. So in my early years of teaching, it had been 1972, 1973, uh, where I was teaching in the East End of London, uh, one of the London boroughs organised a, um, a one-day workshop with Dorothy Hathcote. Now, I'd heard about this woman, and I'd been told that she was completely loopy, um, she was mad, and uh, she did, didn't, didn't really do drama, she did something else. So, of course, that was, that was great, because it, 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 it meant that 32 people turned up at the school where she was teaching, already with uh, notebooks and other things to see what this monster woman was going to be doing. Well, of course, she taught for me the very first mantle of the expert that I'd ever seen. Um, it was an absolutely fantastic session. All the, the class, year fives, well, there must have been about 35 in the, the room. All the year fives were fully into the make-believe. It was as if they were running this waterboard group of people who were um, um, trying to make sure that the water that was going out to people was of good quality and um, what, how they could stop people using too much of it. Now you think about this, it's 1972, 1973, that this piece of teaching is going on. So I witnessed this extraordinary event and it changed my life forever, as often, you know, seeing her in practice often does, because I thought to myself, I want to be like, I want to know how to teach like that. That's what I want. Um, and we went away and the secondary drama teachers who were there said, turn around and said, well, see, there you are. Um, there wasn't a minute's drama in that session. Uh, the primary teachers shook their heads and said, well, I don't know what she did, but it looked like a waste of time because they didn't write anything. So, I mean, you remember, this is 1972. Mm, the three hours. It's a, it's, it's a fair time back. Yeah. So I spent the rest of my teaching career from then on trying to find out, A, what she was up to and learning some of the early skills of that form of drama from very significant people like Chris Havel, who was working in London in the Drama Centre, um, who I think has retired many years now and Cecily O'Neill, who you will have uh, obviously know and have come across, to understand how drama worked. But then, of course, I began to understand there was drama, there was rolling roll, there was mantle of the expert, and then there was commissioning. So over my years of working with Dorothy, a load of things came, um, came my way. But that's my first experience of her. Wow. And can I, can I get you just to take it back a little bit further? So where did you grow up, Luke? Uh, I grew up in North London. Um, with my mum and dad. Um, we would be seen as people who were in poverty. Uh, my dad was a, a Greek Cypriot immigrant and my mother was the daughter of uh, immigrant Irish uh, parentage. 
Um, yeah, and, and we had a, a pretty hard time at that time in terms of finance, but that's where I was, North London, Greek community, Irish community, lots of um, stuff going on, very, very interesting life I had. I'd say. And and do you did, did your family have any interest in drama? Was there any drama no, there or no, creativity? No, no. no, no. My, my mother was a self-educated uh, woman who was very, very astute with politics. She was all about fairness. She was all about a society that needed some sort of equity. And of course, being Greek and Irish in me, they, they didn't have much truck with the sort of English tradition other than my father wanting me to do well and be part of the part of England, really. So mm. I didn't learn Greek and I didn't learn Gaelic. Mm. Interesting, isn't it? So that, that can be the way, because I'm over here in Canada at the moment, and I, mm. I find that people are very much interested in, in their children learning their cultures. But in the past, it was just all about fitting into where you were, you know, and trying yeah. to... Well, they were ashamed, really. My father was ashamed of, of the Greek Cypriot community, and my mother was pretty ashamed of the Irish community that both had a pretty bad name, um, certainly At in North time. London. Uh, you know, immigrants tend to have very bad names. Mm. And so do you think this kind of, this shaped their, your pedagogies and, and how you've been, you know, Yeah, I guess in... it did. Yeah, I guess it yeah. did. Um, in terms of wanting to work with uh, and work in areas of great poverty, it's all I've done all my life. I mean, at the moment, I am working in uh, other settings that are pretty well healed. But my the whole of my career over, which now spans nearly 40, maybe over 40 years now, uh, has been in areas of poverty or with kids in severe jeopardy for their education, for example, in special schools and in special settings, um, new communities in the Midlands, um, East End of London. Yeah. That, I mean, that's that's where I've I've honed my skills because I, I, my view was as a young teacher, if you can't make it work in those sort of settings, then there's not much point in trying it out anywhere else. If you're going to be a true educationist, I mean, you know, I had those ideals uh, right at the very beginning. What, you know, what else, what did I know about teaching? I've been to a school, but that was about it. Hmm. That's interesting because I sometimes feel that, you know, when people say they've been to a school, they 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 know the system or they know what's happening and you're like well very different now the way things are you know um and so that must be that is quite tough you know working in those um scenarios and do you find it wearing at all are you do you find no, no, no. Not, not at all it's, it's fantastically uh, liberating it's uh, but apart from that it, it's given me those sort of i mean tim calls them ranger skills uh, it's given me a sort of wild ranger <laughs> so you know <laughs> I, I can range all over the place and go out to the mountain tops and so on. D Dorothy called me her um, most astute. Um, uh, who are those people that guide you up on mountains? What are they called? It's like um, a shepherd, not a shepherd. Sherpas, no. yeah. She said, Sherpa, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 my Sherpa, Luke. You, you're oh. one of the best Sherpas, because I that's where I was always trying to assist people into the knowing of the great mountainous work. Um, and, that, and that's what she called me. And I'm very, very happy and, and will hopefully live a long time with that sort of Sherpa uh, model on me. But what it meant was that uh, I wasn't going to have too much respect for the status quo or orthodoxy. Mm. Um, you know, my wife always said, you can smell her at a mile off. 
and I, and I think that people who know what they're doing in classes tend to do that. Um, you know, I, I view that working in a classroom and being a teacher with kids and engaging with kids, that's the job, not talking about it or managing it, but actually being with kids, uh, the doing of it is, is what we seem to have lost is the priority. Yeah, you've There's a actually, lot of other stuff around it, which is, I think, a bit fatuous. You've just hit the nail on the head there, because that's something when I thought of you, I thought any time that I've seen you speak or that, that I've come across you, it's always very practical. Like um, I, I went to a Mantle of the Expert training in the summer and, and you just had these hands-on experiences that you're constantly developing your practice and doing. You're doing, 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 which I think as teachers, we do, we do need to do and not speak. I think that's uh, that, that's my own personal thought as well. Yeah. Um, so can I just ask you just a little, there's a, a, a gap here I want to bridge. So so you, you had that moment where you met Dorothy Heathcote and you saw um, the work that she was doing and then you said, that's what I want to do. And then you went and did her, the master's under her. Oh, in... It was some time after. Yeah. Okay, so, so there's a, that's, the, that's the gap there I want to, want to, <laughs> to bridge. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in the gap, I, I was teaching all over the place. I was teaching um, in a secondary school. I was teaching in a middle school. Um, I was teaching in a revolutionary secondary school in the Midlands, which quite an extraordinary place. Stanterbury campus at the time was one of the revolutionary hotbeds that uh, many people had their eye on at that time to close. I had some absolutely un outstanding teachers and we did some outstanding practice. It, it, is, it is historically known. Um, but of course, things change, people change, people go on to other things. Um, I, from there, I applied to do Dorothy's course, to do her master's course, which meant that I had to have a year's salary stopped. I had to find the course fees and of course I had to find accommodation. So it meant quite a lot of debt, which I think people at the moment know all about. Actually, that was very good for me because it meant that I was not going to waste a single minute up in Newcastle for that year. And I didn't. I, you know, I worked right the, right the way through the year. And uh, in that year, Dorothy was working on Mantle of the Expert as the model for new learning. I was working at Stantonbury, which was looking for a curriculum model to uh, work with. Rolling roll wouldn't have suited Stantonbury because we were, we were beyond that. We were more operating like a primary school. So we needed a sort of a holistic model to go for, not, not a three-dimensional model. Although I did work with rolling roll in Stantonbury as, as it happens. So when I came, um, when, I, when I learnt the work that I had done, and that was with Chris Havel, people like Cecily, people like Gavin, um, I, I got the advanced diploma uh, in drama and education, that was the RSA. Then I became one of the national examiners for um, the RSA. Then I became chair of the RSA examiners panel, um, uh, which, which lasted, what, about two or three years. But in that time, I was working across the country, seeing where else people were applying drama. And there was some fantastic stuff going on in Cambridge where uh, one of the tutors there, Dorothy Loftus, she was teaching people how to use drama in primary schools. Now that seemed to me to be quite new to see how uh, she was developing uh, an area of practice, which was usually given over to secondary teachers. And it was great to see. And of course there was the special school stuff, which I was always interested to see how people were applying drama. Um, but then in 1981, 82, I went to Newcastle and did the full year 
learning with Dorothy and dispensed with any of the Neelands conventions because what we had drilled into us was an art form and how the art of drama works through the uncovering that she had done with the conventions of dramatic action. And then you mentioned Tim uh, a few minutes ago, uh, Tim yeah. Taylor. So how did yourself and Tim form this mantle of the expert.com, which is, um, you know, a great resource? Yeah, well, it was, a, it was a fantastic collaborative. I mean, Tim was a highly gifted teacher. Um, I worked in his school. He taught in one of the most challenging schools in Norwich, right in the centre of poverty in Norwich, in a in a housing estate that, that was dilapidated and going downhill. Uh, and many people were frightened to go into the place. It was, it, it was in some, one would say, is now um, a, a shockingly challenging place to go full of poverty. And he taught in the school right in the middle of it with a brilliant head teacher, uh, Sue Eagle. Uh, Sue asked me to work in the school to develop practices beyond keeping the kids clamped to the classroom and keeping them clamped in their chairs. So I began to work with the staff in um, drama strategies, opening them up a little bit. But by that time, I knew an awful lot about Mantle the Expert. So I was sort of um, infiltrating Mantle the Expert approaches into it. Tim got absolutely obsessed with it. And he said to Sue, I want to know what that guy did with my kids because I've never seen them so engaged because I taught his class in front of the school. And she said, OK, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get him in a little bit more. So I joined the staff uh, probably for a year and I must have been there about eight or nine times over the year. And Tim was just eyes open all the time, notebook out. And he was determined and not being a drama person, he was determined to find out what was the practice that he needed to do to get his kids in a position of imagining a make-believe and living there. That's all he wanted. So he followed me around for a year um, he became an advanced skills teacher early in his career. I think it might have been even in his second year, which is quite astonishing. Um, he then had an inspection and the inspection of the school was just fantastic. And one of the things that highlighted was Mantle of the Expert and the work that Tim was doing in his classroom. So they gave him a grant of 10,000 quid wow. um, to develop the work and report back to the then standards unit um, and I suppose to report on findings, so to speak. Anyway, he used the 10,000 quid to buy me in to set up a little network of teachers interested in the work in Norfolk. And I then um, invited him after that year to come to Essex uh, to join me, because I was a senior advisor in Essex, um, to join me in my team and come and teach for a year and work alongside me, which he did. And that was where the new uh, work was happening, the new schools investigations were happening, the research unit was happening. Um, people started across the country getting interested in this Mantle of the Expert stuff. And, and I was setting up networks and courses and we ran the residential centre at Ringsfield Hall for teachers to come along, of which they haven't stopped coming. And all the time Tim was developing his practice um, alongside the sort of stuff that I could uh, work with him on. And he, and he learned quickly and well, as you know. Mm, that's fantastic. And, and now just like today I was on the website and it's just a wonderful resource to know there's so much there. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Tim is phenomenally gifted in how to use modern technology. I'm afraid I'm, I'm an old dinosaur. And, um, you know, when it comes to me staring at a screen like this, I, I keep thinking to myself, 
what are you like in the room? I'd much rather us be in the room rather than on a screen. Yeah. Um, and I find that quite hard. It's, it's my age, probably. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think it's your age because uh, I actually feel very similar to you. I, I think we miss the the physicality and the presence, and especially, you know, in the game that we're in as well. You know, we we, we probably are quite good at reading people and their, their um, expressions and things like that. I, I do think while technology has opened up these barriers, like I, I'm talking to you from Canada and you're in the yeah, UK, but it's also creates other barriers, you know, like um, I, I do think it would be very different dynamic in person. So no, I think, don't think it's an age thing. So now I'm going to move on to the next question, which is the doing of it. Yeah. Um, so a standout drama moment for you as a practitioner, and that can be in any sort of context. Yeah. Well, uh, um, a few years back, uh, when Dorothy was alive. So this, this would have been 2010, 2011. Um, the New Zealand people were getting wind of, of the work. And of course, once New Zealanders get hold of it, uh, they really run it down. I mean, not run it down unpleasantly. They run it down like a quarry and they learn how it works. And uh, Viv Aitken, who was, uh, she might have changed the name now, she's got married, but the, I knew her as Viv Aitken at, from Waikato University. She came over and was having conversations with Dorothy, who said, well, if you want to know about this stuff, Mantle of the Expert, go and talk to Luke. So when I was um, doing this advisory work in Essex, she came along and works alongside me, um, coming to all the schools that I was working with in Essex to teach how to use Mantle of the Expert. And she followed me, like Tim had done, actually, with a notebook and wrote loads and loads and loads of stuff down, tried them out, took them back to New Zealand, came back and researched with, with Dorothy on various university type um, activities, and then started up her own Mantle of the Expert New Zealand, um, as well as a, a teaching course. Now, you see, that's the, the thing that New Zealand's got over us is that, that there is a university that's actually teaching Mantle of the Expert to practitioners, uh, and, and, it's, and it's terrific. But in between time, there was a conference that was held that Dorothy couldn't go to because she was extremely ill in her last couple of years of life. Not that she'd tell anybody, but she was. And so she stayed in England, Dorothy. And she said, OK, well, Luke, you can go over. You run the thing in New Zealand. Um, you do the keynote speech. I'll do another one and uh, take some people along with you. And I took all the most experienced Mantle of the Expert drama teachers over from England to New Zealand. And of course, teachers teaching teachers has been something that I've always had a bee in my bonnet about to make actually happen. Because if teachers teach teachers, you know, the teachers who are being learned, they, they, they learn it more from the teachers. You know, if, if I start going there, they say, yeah, but you know, you, you've been doing it for years. How, how am I going to be working at it as a novice? When you've got a novice teacher who's teaching it very well, talking to another teacher, um, things really do change. And, and, and that I, I was very proud of that particular structure. Anyway, back to this piece of teaching. Um, they asked me in New Zealand if I would teach a class of kids as part of the conference. Now, I said, OK, I, I will. Um, but what is it you want demonstrated? They said, what we want demonstrated is how you frame, in other words, how you get the kids into a, a viewpoint that begins to challenge their thinking within this so-called mental of the expert stuff. And how do you link your drama into it? So that's what they wanted to see. So I said, okay, um, we'll, we'll do that then. Give me, give me a class of kids, tell me who they are. I said, well, we can get hold of um, a class of kids 
it's about 25, 28 kids between the ages of, what were they? They were nine, 10, 11. So the top end of primary. I said, okay, let, let's do that. Um, now, Tim very wisely had said, whatever you do, get the cameras on him when he's first talking to the kids, because it is then when he is talking with the kids about what they're about to enter into, that's when it all starts. Is it, It's not going to start when you see him working in the uh, arena with all the teachers. That's not the start. That's probably five steps on. You've got to get him right at the very beginning. Now, Tim's a wise, very, very wise practitioner, and they did that. I got a camera in, and the first session that I was working with these children, I introduced them to the notion of um, <laughs> what views would they have if they had any views at all of an animal that was causing huge amounts of damage and needed to be taken away. They said, oh, well, I can tell you that that's, uh, we have hundreds of those in New Zealand. They've come all the way from Australia and uh, they're horrible and, and they eat everything in New Zealand. I said, okay, so you know, you know about some creature or other, don't you? They said, yes, um, and, we, and we want to eradicate this thing. Um, so I said, okay, so when we get eradicate this thing, if we've got this as a job and somebody rings us up and says, um, well, you know, we, we've got one of these tree rats in our, in our house and we, we want it out, how would we go about getting it? Um, well, the conversation was easy. They were going to trap it and they were going to grab it by the neck and they're going to shove it in the back of their vans. So we had long conversations about if young children saw that, what would they make of it? They said, oh, well, we would make sure the children wouldn't see it. I said, well, supposing they're looking out of a window and they're seeing this um, tree rat, as you call them, being caught and um, treated in a way that, that would distress them. So they went away and had a little conversation about it. I said, we're not going to do that. If we were going to run this team of people, we wouldn't do it like that. I said, how would you do it? I said, we capture it first, put it in a box and put it in the box. I said, do you mean to, to stop the distress caused? Yes. I said, well, that's one value then that we hold, isn't it? Now, this was all in the little conversation that we were having. And it was only when we moved into the arena where we started imagining ourselves as this team of people that were very good at um, eradicating things that people don't like, um, that, the, uh, that the lid came off it. Because it was about ethics versus nature's need and the human interference of bringing over a creature that can actually cause mayhem and it's not its fault. Mm. So we, we had a, um, what, I, what I would consider to be one of my best pieces of public teaching anyway, um, in the arena with 80 teachers, there might have been more, and some Maori people who were there um, witnessing, I think, some very, very powerful things that the kids were beginning to operate, certainly within the make-believe as they were imagining themselves as the teams um, the sorts of jobs that they had to do, because I asked the audience if they would give the kids tasks that they could imagine they would need in their home. So people had cockroaches, ants, um, these, these um, tree rat things, rats, um, mice. They had all sorts of things that needed to be taken away from their homes. And of course, the big question at the end of it was, I said, so are our vans full? Yes. And we'd collected them all. You can imagine groups of kids going and imagining themselves doing it collecting them all they're in there we're getting in our vans and the last question I had which stunned everybody was so what are we going to do with them now then 
And of course, death is in the air. And also there's a lot of them. So are we going to put them in pens? Are we going to have sort of um, mass extermination? Uh, how are we going to do it? But nobody in New Zealand, I think some English people might have felt that was a little bit gooey, but nobody in New Zealand ever made any comment about the content of it. What they began to understand was that the responsible team has to work with a set of values that are built uh, on an ongoing basis because I'm putting in front of the kids um, questions such as uh, the children, the child's view. Because I asked them, just, just see me for a minute. Can you imagine I'm a child? Can you go, I'm a child, just for a minute, looking out of a window? Yes, Mr. Abbott, we can. So I represented a child looking outside on the window. I said, right, so could you just get on with the job then? Um, and you want to avoid distress. So can you get on with the job avoiding distress for the child? If that's what you say you stand for, let's see you do it. And of course, the whole thing changed completely. They were all cuddling these little things and gently putting them in the cages. They were gently putting them in and they were looking at me saying, it's all right, you know, it's not, we're not doing any harm and so on, if, if you like, protecting me from it. But of course, in the protection at the end, we had conversations about um, when the protection's over, when does reality come in? And it, the, the kids were very, very silent because they had been schooled in New Zealand that these tree rat things were causing so much mayhem that they had to be destroyed um, by poisonous bombs, by spraying whole areas with cyanide, uh, you know, it was just the most catastrophic environmental, uh, I don't know, uh, event that the New Zealanders had to do because it had come over from Australia. <laughs> yeah. It was a big one. And uh, you know, I was very proud of that piece of teaching. I might sound a little bit um, vague at the moment, but it, I, I was, was very proud of that teaching. No, it and sounds fascinating. It, it, it's one that has been remembered by teachers, teachers who come over from New Zealand. So I was there that time, Luke, when you when you taught that session. Gave me the willies. <laughs> Gave me the willies. <laughs> There's so many parallels in it, though, as well, and well, the ethics course. behind it. And oh, yeah, it yeah. actually is giving me a bit of goosebumps. I, I'd love to love to have seen it. Um, and and that brings me on to to your influencers. Um, I think I might know, know already the answer yeah. to this question. <laughs> Maybe it's, uh, yeah, this question might be null and void um, mm. about, you know, an influential person that, that shaped your practice, practice was obviously Dorothy Hedgut. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's not much more to say on that, really. She wasn't the only one. I mean, um, she, her practice has been derided. You know, I, I'm somebody that will hold a banner for her forever until I die. But there are some people who deride her work in the past that she was far too forceful, far too directive. She wasn't uh, very democratic. I've heard people say um, she's actually a has-been and her work, um, that doesn't count for anything now. Wow. Um, so, you know, it, it's not everybody's view that uh, the genius that came out of um, that part of Northern England uh, carries the sort of weight that I think she does. But, you know, that's... My, it's, I'm only talking from my experience. Hmm. Now, one of, the, one of her great compatriots was uh, John Fiennes, Dr. John Fiennes, who was a historian, very, very gentle giant man. And he and Raymond Verrier wrote a book called The Drama of History, which if, it, if it's ever available to anybody in any secondhand bookshop and you can get a copy of it, read it, because it's one of the best accounts of drama 
um, with history as a basis uh, that has ever been written. Drama um, of history. And what was his, I'm going to write this down here. <laughs> John, John Fiennes. John Fiennes. And Ray Verrier. <laughs> Verrier is V-E-R-R-I-E-R. Okay, right. Um, NATD, under my guidance, they serialized John, John Fiennes and Ray's book in their um in the, in the 2d journal so if you can't find it online you will certainly find it in the journal because maggie agreed that it was a book that needed to be re-accessed and john when i spoke to him before he died of course and ray Verrier, they both said yeah there's there's no rights you can have it get it out if you think it's right but i mean they did publish it in 1974 so you know it's not like a modern book but yeah. the account is is astonishingly brilliant and funny that's the other great thing oh that's good it's a bit like tim's book you know when you read tim's book you you're looking and reading a book that you know somebody taught this somebody's been there yeah they, they made all the mistakes and they found this that and the other and it's the same with john's book it's, it's it's astonishing needs to be written and he was a very very great practitioner and i loved him until he died which was unfortunate he just dropped dead of a heart attack and was he in young house in chichester well he just retired he was 61 Okay. That is young, though. Well, yeah. it is now, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so so it wasn't just Dorothy then. Um, so there was there was others as well, which is. Oh, I mean, there was Cecily too in the early days of, of drama in London. Mm. Uh, Cecily was running fantastic drama courses. I went to every one I could manage to get to. So her influence under Gavin, because she taught, she learned with Gavin. Yeah. And obviously, Gavin was influenced by Dorothy eventually. There was that sort of um, semi, uh, you know, it's a sort of more like a sort of a co-collaboration between those two, which I choose to call the Northeast School of Drama Teaching, because that's <laughs> where it was and that's where it's based, you know, and why not call it what it is? And, and what's what that like? So Cecily was influential uh, and now you're, you know, obviously giving seminars and conferences alongside her. What's that like? when you kind of start being oh. on parallel with people that you <laughs> held in high regard? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I'd, rather be nice. answer, I'd, I'd rather not answer that one. <laughs> you seem like the type who, who doesn't like to um, give yourself much praise. You know, I think I'd be like, oh, it's a great time. You know, I get to, I've, I've risen the ranks. I've sherpaed my way to the top of the mountain. <laughs> well, no, I, do say, I, don't, I don't see it in terms of ranking. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the whole issue that we're facing. The whole of the, the system is so infested with somebody's more senior than you. So therefore they have the powers to tell you you're not doing the right thing or that you don't have the right to do those sorts of things. And I'm afraid, uh, in my view, that doesn't build a society of conviviality. Mm. Uh, I'm very much of the view of Ivan Illich that we have to look at the politics of conviviality again um, so that we are all working in the sense for all, for the sake of all, um, for, for a better future. Um, yeah. We do not have a better future at the moment. My children are going to suffer enormously from what my generation got up to. Um, and I, and I, want to, I want to blow the whistle on it. We are facing you know, a catastrophe in the world, if you believe it. I mean, some people say that's only doom, 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 doom. I mm -hmm. tend to think that actually there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and I think that upholding a single subject system is part of the doom culture. It's yeah. doing nothing when we could do something. 
And the drama field, you see, the drama practitioners are strong enough and they've got it in their heads and in their hands to be able to do something about it, which is why after that last weekend, I'd had enough of it all. And I, and I am going out on a limb and I am going to create the, the, the Hathka Institute. I don't care who shouts at me. Yeah. Shout away. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've summed it up nicely there that you're um, the, uh, the question about the influences that now you feel that it's more of a, a collaborative force, you know, and, and there are, you're right. There is a lot, there are a lot of people out there and we can make a lot of change. We can. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't, the thing is, I don't think we know enough about Dorothy Hathcote's work. Mm. And leading on from earlier, um, you spoke about, um, about that wonderful experience in New Zealand. Um, and I, I can imagine that I've never done that where you've taught a group of, of children in front of 80 colleagues, 80, you know, practitioners, educators. I mean, that's quite nerve wracking, I think, in, in a sense. Uh, would, would you feel nervous doing that? Um, you know, so this the question is digging holes and retrieval, the time where it all went wrong. But, but before we get into it, I just want to know, do you ever, when you're teaching in front of teachers, ever worry that it's all going to just absolutely go wrong? No, 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 no. Because I think that the, um, no, I know enough now, I'm also skilled enough at my age to be able to recognize when things need to be um, changed or we need to have conversations about things or I need to change strategies. I've got enough experience of that. Mm. Um, I mean, it is my contention that when I'm teaching colleagues how to use Mantle of the Expert, that one of the great um, caverns to go across is to put your practice up to public, public um, exposure, mm. as which I, which I said at the conference. Yeah. You know, there were too many people, in my view, who were in a position of um, lecturing and talking about it, who hadn't put their practice up ever uh, to scrutiny in the public domain. Um, and I, I just think that's cheating, mm. um, because if you can't do that, then what does it say about your practice? All it says is you can talk about it. If I'm a violinist, I'm going to play the violin. If I'm a performer and I want people to listen to the music because I think it's worthwhile hearing, uh, I'll learn how to make those the sounds on a violin work for an audience. I won't talk about it. I won't show you my strings and I won't show you my uh, violin bow. And I won't say that it has cost a fortune because it's a Stradivarius. You know, I'll actually play it for you yeah. because it's in the playing, not in the talking about it or the ownership of something that is fabulously wealthy that makes it music. It doesn't. The music is music. Hmm. Yeah, I know exactly. And what you're we've lo we've lost that. So then, in a sense, do, so do you have a time where it went wrong, or do you think that this is? Sorry, do I have a a time where it all went wrong, or or do you think? Oh my that god, it can yeah. never go. I went wrong. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> of course, in the, in the first instances of it, I had the thing was falling apart all around my head because I was trying to find out. How, particularly how Mantle the Expert worked. And when I was a young teacher, you know, the, the, the amount of drama sessions that went down the pan, uh, I've lost count because you know, you're, you're always practicing, aren't you? You're always trying to find out what, what went wrong. What, did, what, did I, what should I have done there? How could I have made it better? Now, in reflection, I mean, the worst session I ever taught, which was in public, which I can laugh about now, but I cried at the time, was when I was teaching in... Um, in, in Norwich um, at the Cathedral um, Museum. And they had a, 
um, a sarcophagus, which was an Egyptian one. So they said, come and come and do some work around this, Luke. And uh, I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. You know, what can go wrong when you've got a real sarcophagus and you've got real kids and you've got a bunch of teachers and you've got Mantle of the Expert? I mean, what could go wrong? Well, I tell you, every bloody thing went wrong. <laughs> Everything. The kids didn't really want to do the work. They weren't particularly interested and didn't grab them. I couldn't find the right strategy to get them into it. So they're all fidgety. They were all sat down. They were far more interested in, in the audience than uh, in the work that I was trying to put them to. Um, the audience were getting fiddly by that time because they were embarrassed for me as a teacher. Oh. <laughs> I was getting panicked because I didn't know how to get these kids on board because I couldn't get the collective. You know, I hadn't done that sort of nice, cosy collective. I'd just gone in there yeah. uh, and started the work. What a mistake. Mm. So the collective, just for anybody who's listening, so that's where you bring them in beforehand yeah. and talk. Yeah, right at the very beginning, have a little chat. You know, I'm thinking about doing something in Egypt. What do you think? At yeah. that time, they would have said, what's Egypt? So and, it's or, the buy-in, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. And I couldn't get them to buy-in on the stage because they were far too interested in what was going around. So uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm just imagining, I'm imagining the sweat, like the sweat. <laughs> sweat, my God. Yeah, and of course, the shame. Yeah. And, and also people coming out afterwards saying, um, yeah, tricky, tricky. And some people said, tricky kids. I said, no, 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 oh, no. not tricky kids, tricky teacher. Miss <laughs> <Just> read it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, so, it's so funny how you learn, though, isn't it, from all of these things? And Well, it, that... it's good because, you, you know, your hubris gets the better of you most of the time. And mm. then uh, you have an experience like that knocks you down. And that's something that I'm always trying to um, instill in, in my learners about drama education is that it really can't go wrong. Like, even though that went wrong, like it went wrong, but that's OK because it had another outcome, you know. Um, so no matter I always say to them, like, don't be afraid of going wrong because it's only through the reflection that we learn. And that reflection is so important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about um, this, this terminology of teaching at risk and you're, you're working right at the edge of what you know and what the kids know. And if we're not working at that particular point, then we're not really creating art. What we're doing is reproducing. Mm -hmm. Creating is always going to be messy and it's always going to be risky. The artist teacher has to know what they're doing mm -hmm. to make it worthwhile for the kids to go through these zones, the zones of proximal development, so to speak. Yeah. And I think I'm going to be interested by this question. Um, what are your dreams and visions? What is the future of drama? What should be next, but also what do you think will actually be next? Yeah, well, I can't talk about Ireland or Canada, but I can <laughs> talk about us. And I, I mean, I've just written a paper which is pretty contentious. And again, I'm not going to win many friends in the community, but it has to be said that um, universities need to work harder in working out whether or not that they want to understand the work of Dorothy Hathcote and bring it to the, to the frame of teachers. Um, so the fact that they're not doing that means that others are going to have to fill in that vacuum, which is what we're doing in mantleoftheexpert.com. It's what David is doing at, uh, in, in Birmingham. And it's what I'm doing in setting up what I would call this, this new institute. And, you know, who cares what you call it? But we do need to have practice which is very precise in what Dorothy Hethcote's work was not general and these are very very specific tools that I've learned how to use 
they're in my hands and I don't know whether anybody else is left who um, was taught by Dorothy, who's able to actually articulate them or has practiced them enough so that they become uh, part and parcel of the way that we work. Um, the, the future of drama is in the classrooms and it's in developing the skill set of practitioners beyond what we know in the 60s and 70s and keeping it just as sort of drama. Uh, I um, use the analogy of uh, Rachmaninoff um, and, and if you like uh, some of the great jazz musicians, um, Sachmo, for example, when he came on the scene, he was seen as a devil incarnate. Um, and of course he was black and he had this strange voice and he was doing this incredibly different sort of jazz stuff. And he was the devil for some people. Over time, he's been recognized as one of the greatest geniuses within jazz ever to have uh, born. And it's the same with Rachmaninoff. He was the only person in the world at his time that could play his concertos. Nobody else could. He was the only one on the planet. There was nobody when Dorothy Hathcote was working, there was nobody else on the planet that could teach like her. Now, you know, it's not so you sit back and say, oh, well, I'll never be like Rachmaninoff. Well, how come now there are 13, 14 year olds that can rattle off some of his piano concertos, uh, you know, you know as, as if it's some sort of exercise? How, how's, how's, how's that happened? Well, they've, they've suddenly been born Rachmaninoff or they've learned the techniques or the techniques have become sufficiently strong enough for, for people to see what they are. And of course, it's not until you actually see what you need to do at that sort of level that you raise your practice. And that's what I'm talking about that we need to do in the drama community to raise our practice. Our practice is woefully and shamefully shoddy and it's not sharp enough. And it's because we don't have enough skills, not our fault. It's because we haven't been taught them. Well, there are people around, and I'm one of them, that are willing to teach people precisely what it is. I'm not being big-headed here. I'm trying to say we need to shift our practice upwards so that we become invincible. People will uh, employ the best teachers because they're bloody good teachers, and never mind what they're doing. And it's the best teachers we need in the profession. I think that's a, a strong statement. Um, and, you know, I hope things do go that way and, and we um, we progress as come much as we can. Us. Come on, March. March the 10th to the 12th, come on, or 12th or whatever it is. Come join the Institute. I'm running, <laughs> I'm running the first one. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that, on the, the Mantle uh, website and see how, how things are going. So we're on our spotlight round now, which is our quick fire round. Oh, um, right. So what is your why? Why do you why do you do this? You know, it's not easy. Why do we do it? Why should anyone do it? Um, and can you sum it up in three sentences? Okay, well, in, in New Zealand, um, I heard the term from Maori people who said, it's always for the people, the people, the people. I say, I do this for the children, the children. The children. It's lovely. That's why I do it. Yeah. Why else would we? Why else would we do it? Actually. Yeah. Well, there's no other. Yeah. There's no other reason. Well, there's the control. The control. <laughs> the control. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, the ch I like that. I'm gonna keep write that one down. The children. I like that. That's a lovely. That's a lovely um, analogy. So. And this is a 
is a, an interesting quick fire uh, one. What what technique or convention or strategy is your go to? <laughs> 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 I to leave that question. <laughs> I'd like to rephrase that question for you, which is what what is what is the tool that has made the most difference to your teaching, so that you can be more inventive? And I would answer you, and I would say, learning the conventions of dramatic action and putting them into practice and going beyond the first eight, they transform my practice and they do it all the time because mm. that is the nature of our art. It's a very concise answer. It's <laughs> very good. Um, yeah, so I was uh, <laughs> laugh, laughing, uh, thinking about that, that one there. And was, I actually, I, I knew you were going to answer that as well because that seems to be your, your essence in some ways is that going beyond the first eight um and then have you one piece of advice for other drama practitioners be they new be they old yeah but not old seasoned well i'm old <laughs> I, I would say keep keep practicing and keep asking the kids and keep asking them what luke like do, do you mean this um conversation at the beginning or just in general keep asking them what they want well, what they need in a classroom which is uh, formulated around conviviality we'd ask the kids quite hard questions for yeah. us to listen to which might be so how was my teaching today hmm. um, do you think this was worth the amount of time we've put into it do you think we've got anything out of it enough to say we are beyond what we where, where we were when we came in the room. Mm. What would I you think... say to people when we go home about what we just did? I think as teachers, those questions are hard to ask as well because you do have to listen to the answers, don't you? Um, but they are important too. To, well, to... Brian Edmiston is on record as saying that um, teachers should do less asking and more listening. True. Yeah. But you know what? I think that's a, a lovely note to leave it on. Um, I've enjoyed this chat today, Luke. Uh, I really have. Um, I don't know how useful it's going to be for your colleagues. Do you know what? I think it's going to be very useful. I think the point of these podcasts is to record these moments in time and the conversations that we're having globally about drama education. And what I've noticed from, from recording these podcasts is that every single person um, I've interviewed has been so passionate. And I don't think you get that in a lot of industries, you know, mm. that it's their, it's their life, it's the, their core and it's their essence. Um, and so thank you so much for sharing all of that today. Um, and I look forward to seeing what's happening in the future. Thank you for listening to Hot Seating. The Drama Education Podcast, brought to you by the Association of Drama in Education in Ireland. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please tell a friend or two, like and subscribe to hear further conversations. <laughs>